Allow me to take the scripture, which is in uh, Romans, Romans 6, starting from verse 1 to 14. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. What shall we say to all this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ has raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning our old ways. For if we have become one with him permanently united in likeness of his death, we will also certainly be one with him and share fully <clears throat> in likeness of we know that our old self, our human nature without the Holy Spirit was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the person who has died with Christ has been freed from the power of sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live together with him because we know the self-evident truth that Christ having been raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin, ending its power and paying the sinner's debt <clears throat> once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to the glory God. <clears throat> he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead sin and your relationship to the broken but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and passions do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life and to and your members all of your abilities sanctified set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to god for verse 14 for sin will no longer be a master over you since you are not under law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of god's favor and mercy this is the word of god uh, you're welcome, Mr. Jesse. I never come and bless us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Fiona. I'm delighted to be here with you this evening, and uh, it's my privilege to bring God's word to us as we reflect on the on overcoming the power of sin. As already mentioned, my name is Jesse Inebiona. Uh, professionally, I trained as a mechanical engineer. And currently, I work with uh, Inspired Leaders, a human resource and leadership training uh, firm. Uh, I'm married to Diana, and together we are blessed with two daughters. We worship at All Saints, and we serve in the children's ministry. Uh, this evening, as already mentioned by Fiona, we are going to be reflecting on overcoming the power of sin. Overcoming the power of sin. And our reference text has already been read to us. So we're just going to reflect, especially around what is sin, you know, how do we sin, what are the effects of sin? 
and then how what can we learn about overcoming sin from the passage that has been read to us and then i'll conclude it with a few practical help that we can use overcome sin uh, once again uh, let us pray father in the name of jesus i pray that as i share the word that you have placed upon my heart i pray that lord i will speak your oracles Above all, Lord, I pray that your name will be glorified in this sharing and that you will open our hearts to receive the truth of your word. We pray that the internet will hold, that Lord, we shall have a stable connection as we stay on this call this evening, that nothing from the enemy will hinder the connection that we have and the fellowship that we have on this call tonight. Thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Great. So talking about sin, the question is, what is sin? And in my simple way of understanding, I would say that sin is anything that is contrary to the will of God. Anything we do that is contrary to the will of God, that is sin. It could also be looked at as disobedience to God's word. So when you think about disobedience to God's word, the first thing that quickly comes to my mind is how sin came into the world. How did sin come into the world? We know this from Genesis chapter 3, when God made man and woman and placed them in the Garden of Eden. And he gave them an instruction. And the instruction was, you can eat anything except the fruit that is, except the fruit on the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And out of man's curiosity, for some reason, of all the fruits that were, of all the foods that were given, he chose to go for this one which God had said, do not eat. And the act of eating the fruit is what we are calling disobedience. So it is that act of disobedience that brought sin into the world. So that was the entry point of sin into the world. And from that moment onwards, from that point forward to this very day, God has been pursuing us because right from that moment, we know that God came he pursued man. He came asking, where are you? Now, the reason he was asking is not because he didn't know where they were, but many times God wants us to own our mistakes and acknowledge our failures. And right from that moment, we see God killing an animal and wrapping them in the skin of this animal. And that was the first example of redemption, that God is kind and merciful enough to pursue us even when we run away in disobedience. As we think about what sin is, we need to constantly have at the back of our mind the fact that God is never casual about sin. Unfortunately, we live in a time, and, and I'm glad that we are going to be looking at the passage of scripture that has been read, where we, we tend to take God's grace for granted. You know, we, we, we take sin casually. But if you want to recognize the seriousness and the gravity of sin, you can find that best when you read your Bible. When you go to the Old Testament, you realize that there were grave consequences. Even to this day, there are grave consequences for sin. God is never casual. He is so serious about sin that it took him to send his only son to die for us. And that should ring a bell, you and I, that for God to send his only son to die on the cross, he cannot be casual about sin. So God is serious about sin, and we ought to equally be as serious about it because we cannot afford to be casual about something that God is serious 
about. Now, how do we sin? There are many ways in which we sin. Sometimes we sin in thought, just what you think. Sometimes we sin in word, what we say. But also sometimes we sin in deed. And like we often say in the general confession on Sundays, whenever we are praying that prayer of confession, sometimes we sin in the things we have done, but also in the things we have not done. So maybe there is something that you should have done and you didn't do. So that sin of omission, not only the sin of commission, whereby you have committed something, but also the sin of omission. You have not done what you know you should have done. That is also sin. But in addition to that, we also sin because that is our nature. Right from the time sin came into the world, from that point forward, we became sinners by nature. And many times whenever we are teaching in the children's church, children always ask, so a child who has been born just now, it is now 621 East African time, if a baby has been born right now, is that baby a sinner? The answer is yes, they are a sinner. Not because of what they have done, but because of who they are. We are sinners just because of who we are. Our natural tendency, our nature is that we are born sinners. Now, talking about that, what are the effects of sin? Why are we saying that sin is something that you shouldn't be casual about? In Isaiah 59 verse 2, the scripture says that but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin is an obstacle. It hinders us from a good relationship with God. When I went through the Navigator Bible study uh, ministry, uh, when I had just come to Christ, in book one, one of the things we were looking at was the bridge illustration. And in the bridge illustration, the first thing we talk about is that God loves man. You know, God loves man and he has a plan for man. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and the future. The challenge, however, is that because sin came into the world, sin has separated us from God. It has created such a big gap that we cannot bridge that gap on our own. So the first effect of sin is separation from God. We are separated. And that is why on the cross, it was especially difficult for Jesus, not only because of the pain of being crucified, but most importantly, it was the pain of separation from God because God and the Son are one. So for him to be separated from, from, from the Son was such a big thing for him. And that's why he said, why have you forsaken me? The pain of separation is something that should grieve us enough not to be casual about sin. But in addition to that, we know that there are instances where, in the scriptures, where people literally died, literally died because of a certain sin. We read in Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira, who conspired to tell a lie, and we know that they dropped it and they were buried. Now, these are all indicators that sin is something that we should not just be casual about. We should not be casual about sin. We also know that sin has got certain consequences. Take, for example, when God told Moses to strike the rod once for the water to come, Moses struck the, road, the, the rock twice. And because Moses did not obey God, there was a consequence. The consequence was, Moses, you will not enter the promised land. 
And for sure, Moses did not enter the promised land. Sometimes you might say, but eh, aren't you being harsh? I think what these scriptures bring out is the reality and the realization that you and I should never be casual about sin. What about the temple that was raided by the Babylonians and they were taken into captivity for 70 years? Why? Because God kept warning these people. He kept telling them, he kept sending prophets, but they neglected them. And when we keep on neglecting the voice of God, he will give us over to our own desires. And as a result, the temple that took a lot of resource, that had lots of gold, articles of silver and bronze, it was raided. And all those things were taken out, all because of sin. So from all these examples, and much more that we cannot get into right now, we realize that God is never casual about sin. And in the same way, we should not be casual about sin. And in all this, we are going to be learning that while we still live in the presence of sin, Christ's death dealt with sin's power and paid for the penalty. So yes, we live in the presence of sin. We live in an evil world. We live in the presence of sin. We have the confidence that because of Christ's death, that price that he paid on the cross, that was a price for, he took on the power of sin, but most importantly, he also paid for the penalty of our sin. So what can we learn about overcoming sin, about overcoming the power of sin from the Romans passage that we have, that has just been read to us? I want to share five things quickly about that. The first one is that we need to embrace God's grace without abusing it. Embracing God's grace without abusing it. First one begins with a question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And verse 2 begins with the answer to the question. And verse 2 says, by no means, with an exclamation mark, by no means, in other words, is another version that says, of course not, of course not. In other words, we cannot continue to sin. We cannot continue to say, I will indulge in sin because the grace is sufficient, because his grace abounds. Of course not. And Paul is very outright about the choice of words he uses. He says, by no means. Of course not. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The first thing I want us to appreciate is that we need to embrace the grace of God, but we need not to abuse it. Now, God's grace and mercy should not become an excuse for careless living and moral laxity. It doesn't mean that because God has forgiven us, because his grace is sufficient, because his grace abounds, therefore we can live anyhow. Therefore we can do anything. No. I know that there are some people who have taken this to another level. And they are saying, look, it doesn't matter. It is my soul that is saved. My body can do anything. So they have given themselves the laxity to go and indulge in anything as long as they know that it is only the body, that my body is different from my soul, so I can do anything I want. Never. Paul is outright in saying, by no means, of course not. So where have you abused the grace of God? Are there things you are doing that you very well know are not right, but you are still doing them? Because anyway, you think the grace is sufficient. Maybe this is the time for us to go back and think about it and ask God to give us the grace. Because today we are saying that Christ's death has, has given us the power over sin. And we are going to be looking at that shortly that we have the power to overcome the bondage of sin. The first thing we need to appreciate is that 
we need to embrace God's grace without abusing it. Let us not abuse the grace of God. He has given it to us. Let us not abuse it. That's the first thing. The second thing in overcoming the power of sin from this passage is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. So in other words, Christ's death has broken the power of sin. Now, when we talk about being a slave to sin, it means having that natural urge, that natural tendency to want to do something. And the beauty about Christ's death is that Christ's death has taken away, it broke the power of sin. So we are no longer under, we are no longer enslaved. You know, if you, the best way to think about slavery to sin is like somebody who is, say, addicted to something, maybe addicted. I don't know what addiction you can think about. I think about someone who is addicted to drugs. It's like they cannot operate without drugs. It's like they cannot operate. I know someone who is almost addicted to coffee. If, if you meet him without coffee, he will. you can tell that this one, there is something wrong. So for him, it, it has become an addiction to coffee. He is so addicted to it that he now believes that without it, he cannot operate. Christ's death has broken that power. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to addictions. We are no longer slaves. He came and broke those chains. Those chains that were binding us to sin, that natural tendency where we say, I don't know why, but I cannot help myself. Christ's death has broken it. If there is something that you are still struggling with and you're wondering how you're going to stop, the good news is that Christ's death has broken those chains of slavery to sin. So Christ's death broke the power of sin. In verse 6 of the Romans passage, it says that we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So our old sinful selves were crucified on the cross with Christ. So sin might lose its power. For you and I who have come to believe, we need to acknowledge that on that cross, on that cross, on that old rugged cross, there lies our sin. There lies our addictions. There lies our, our bondage to sin. And because Christ died and said it is finished, he said it is finished to that enslavement. He said it is finished to that bondage. He said it is finished to anything that you think you cannot stop doing. No. God, Jesus said it is finished. And because of his death, he broke that power. In verse 7, he goes ahead to say that, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So it is, it is a great reflection for us to realize that we are no longer under the bondage of sin. You and I have the ability to stop whatever it is that we think is holding us in bondage. Remember Jesus said, I came to give freedom to the captives. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are free. We are free. So in Christ, we find freedom. In verse 10, because I had to say that when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So all these scriptures go ahead to emphasize the fact that Christ's death on the cross has taken away that bondage. It has taken away that enslavement that we would have sin. So the first thing that we've talked about in terms of overcoming the power is to embrace God's grace without abusing it. The second thing we have said is 
we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. You and I are no longer slaves to sin. Number three we are saying is that Christ's resurrection gives us the guarantee that we shall live with him. Christ's resurrection gives us the guarantee that we shall live with him. In verse 8, the Romans passage says, And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. This is a great encouragement to anybody on this call that has lost a loved one. That you know that if that loved one knew Christ, then we know that this physical death is just part of the process. It is part of the transition to a better place. We, and since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. Friends, there are so many religions around us. There are Muslims. There are people who, you know, talk about Baha'i. There, there are all kinds that you can think about. I think for me, the, the, the cornerstone of our faith, the difference maker between our faith and what everyone else believes is verse number eight. And verse eight says, since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We know that Jesus' tomb is empty. All those other people that we have talked about, their tombs are there. Those people died and they were buried and they never rose again. But we serve a, a, we serve a God who rose from the dead. He overcame the power of death. And because he overcame the power of death, we know that we too shall rise. And even those who have died in the Lord will rise with him. Verse 9 says that we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. So in Christ's res resurrection, even death has no power over us. Yes, we shall die physically, but when we die physically, we shall be with him forever and in eternity after here. So the question for me is this, how much does that elevate your faith? You know, how does the resurrection of Christ increase your faith about the life that we have after here? You know, we do not mourn like people who have no hope. No, even when we lose a loved one, yes, there is the emotional pain of separation, but there is the good news, the hope and the confidence of knowing that Christ's resurrection will give us the guarantee that we shall live and reign with him in eternity. In, verse, in Galatians 2.20, the Bible says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that is the confidence that we have, that Christ's resurrection has given us the guarantee that we shall live for eternity. And the fourth thing about overcoming the power of sin we are challenged in verse 12, okay, verse 12 and 13. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. And do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead. But now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. The point I want to bring out here is for us to overcome the power of sin, we need to commit to a life that honors God. We need to commit to a life that honors God. 
Verse 12 says, do not let sin. In other words, don't let it. It is like a battle. It is like an ongoing fight. It's like an ongoing scuffle. And he is saying, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. It is like a fight with sinful desires. It is like a fight with sin. And he is saying, do not let sin. Now, while God has given us the power to overcome sin, he has now called us to commit ourselves. To commit ourselves. He is saying, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't let sin control the way you live. One of the things I want us to appreciate is that God has given us the freedom to make choices. That is why he gave them the, he gave Adam and Eve the instruction and he put them in the garden of Eden. He did not hold them back from going to eat the fruit. I want to believe that he was watching them while they were going to eat that fruit. He knew what they were doing, but he did not stop them. In the same way, God has given us the free will to choose. He has given us the free will to choose. So now he is telling us, don't let sin control the way you live. We cannot afford to be casual with sin. So don't let sin control you. In other words, do not give in to sinful desires. It is a battle that we have to fight with sin. The good news is that we have someone that gives us the ability to overcome sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will enable you to stand up under it. So he is telling us, use your wisdom not to give yourself over to your sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Let me ask you, which part of your body have you allowed to use as an instrument for sin? Some, it could be the tongue. You know how you use the tongue? When you're gossiping. And sometimes we even love to gossip in a Christian way. You know how you gossip in a Christian way? When you begin to say, I want us to pray for brother so-and-so, because I had, you see what you're saying? You are saying we pray for someone, but again, you are unpacking things that are not comfortable to that person. Maybe it is the tongue. We use the tongue when we tell lies. We use the tongue when we gossip. Maybe it is the eyes. We use the eyes to serve sin. When we begin to look at things that do not honor God or glorify God. Or maybe it is the mind. When we begin to think of creative ways to keep the system. Or maybe it is the hand when you begin to take something that does not belong to you. Or maybe it is the feet when you begin to walk in places that you know are not good for you. What part of your body have you allowed to serve as an instrument for sin? It is a song that we normally sing with the children that says, So be careful, little mind, what you think. So be careful, little mind, what you think. For the Father up above is looking down below. So be careful, little mind, what you think. So it talks about be careful, little mind, what you think. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little eye, what you see. Be careful, little hand, what you touch. Be careful, little feet, where you go. We need to be careful because God is calling us. Remember this. God has given us the power to overcome sin, but he will not stop you from going where you want to go. You will go there and you will sin. God has given us the free will to choose. And we choose the path that leads to life, not the path 
that leads to death. Lastly, number five, it talks about we don't obey the law. In verse 14, let me read verse 14. Verse 14 says, sin of Romans 6, sin is no longer your master. Okay? So all this is to keep emphasizing the fact that we, sin is no longer our master. Sin is no longer our master. Okay? So sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And I have the point I have extracted from here is a point that we used as a teaching line a few weeks to Christmas with the children, the children's uh, uh, church. When we said that we don't obey the law to be saved, instead we live by God's law because we are saved. Think about that. That we don't obey the law to be saved. No, you don't obey the law. You don't obey the Ten Commandments. Okay, in order for you to be saved. No. Because we are told in Ephesians, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works, so that no one can boast. So we do not obey the law so that we can be saved. Instead, we live by God's law because we have been saved. So now because we have been saved, we live a certain way. We follow God's word. Following God's word comes after we have accepted Christ. Because none of the right things we can do can buy us salvation and righteousness. But when God has saved us, when he has purified us, when he has covered us with his grace, then we live as children of light. We, fought, we live according to God's law. So we don't obey the law to be saved. Instead, we live by God's law because we are saved. Otherwise, if we are saved and we continue to live like these other people, we shall become a laughing stock. The way some people are when they say, ah, you mean so and so is saved. Then even me, I'm saved. Because the person who claims to be saved is the person who is telling lies, is the person who goes to the wrong places, is the person who is stealing, is the person who is not doing things that, that the way they are supposed to be done. So now they are saying, oh, okay. So if that person is saved, then I'm also saved. Why? Because their behavior does not reflect where they are. So remember that, yes, we obey the law. However, it is not with the motive of being saved. It is because we have been saved. So the first thing we talked about is the fact that embrace God's grace without abusing it. That's number one. Number two, we have said that we are no longer slaves to sin. Christ's death broke the power of sin. Yes, we live in the presence of sin, but Christ's death dealt with the power and the penalty of sin. Number three, we have said that Christ's resurrection gives us the guarantee that we shall live with him. So yes, there is the emotional pain of having to deal with the fact that a loved one has departed, but the good news is that if those people were in Christ, we know that they will live with him. They are alive with him. And number four, we have said, commit to a life that honors God. Don't let sin control the way you live. Number five, we have said, we don't obey the law to be saved. Instead, we live by God's law because we have been saved. In conclusion, I want to share a few practical helps that we can utilize in overcoming sin in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. The first thing we need to appreciate is identify your personal weakness. Identify your personal weakness. Now, 
God made us in unique ways. And for different people, it is different things. Maybe for some people, it is the sin of impatience. When you order for something and it is taking time, you almost want to get up and say, you people, what are you up to? Maybe it is the sin of impatience. Remember that patience is a fruit of the spirit. Maybe for some people, it is the sin of gossip. You cannot help but talk about someone. And whenever you are talking about someone, always ask yourself, if you were talking about someone and that person showed up, would you be comfortable to say what you're going to say in their presence? So if the answer is no, then you shouldn't even say it in their absence. So it begins with us, first of all, asking ourselves, because many times we tend to compare ourselves with other people who may not be struggling in the area that we are struggling in. So your issue may not be speeding, for example, but you have an issue with the way you use your eyes. Every person that passes you, every person in whichever skirt, you, you just look and you begin to even make out what might be there. Maybe for you, that is what you need to do. Maybe for you, you have a tendency to take things that do not belong to you. Maybe for you, you have a tendency to tell lies. What is it for you? Identify your personal weakness. That's number one. Number two, recognize the things that tempt us. What are the things that tempt us? If you know that you are the one who handles the money and you know that money will tempt you, have systems that will ensure that you are not in that position. Because if you find yourself in that position, you might, be, you might find yourself doing something that you shouldn't have done. So recognize the things that tempt us. What are some of the things that tempt us? Maybe it is watching things that are inappropriate on the internet. If that is the thing for you, find an accountability partner that you can be open to and say, you know what, every time I, I lower my guard, I will be open enough to tell you. Because as long as we continue to massage these things, they will continue to grow. There is a song we used to sing back in um, where I come from, that in other words, that sin begins small and it continues to grow. And the more you harbor it, it is like a pregnancy. For the first few months, no one sees. But I can tell you, I can tell you by the eighth month, you cannot hide it. By the eighth month, you cannot hide it. So deal with it now. Identify your personal weakness. Recognize the things that tempt you, okay? If it is for you, it is whatever. You know, maybe it is the people you look at. Make a covenant with your eyes, like Job did and said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not sin against the Lord. So, identify your personal weakness. Recognize the things that tempt us. Number three, stay away from the source of temptation. Stay away from the source of temptation. And we see this, this demonstrated in the life of Joseph. When Joseph was approached by Potiphar's wife and she grabbed him by force and she removed his, you know, removed his clothes, okay, and he took off. Now, Joseph did not stay to say, ah, ah, I will control myself. In the presence of sin, it is better to flee. It is better to flee. Sometimes the more we, we, we match and mix with sin, the more we fall into it. So what sin do you need to run away from? The way Joseph ran away from Potiphar's house. Which sin is it? You need to deal with and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I am going to deal with this sin head on. 
yes, God has, has given us the power to overcome sin, but we need to stay away. Stay away from the sources of temptation. If it is telling lies, learn to tell the truth quickly. Did you do this? No, I did not. I'm going to make a commitment to do it. Rather than saying something that you know is not true. And then number four, practice self-restraint. The good news is that 2 Timothy tells us that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. We can exercise self-restraint. So you cannot say, I was forced. No, you cannot say, I was forced, because we have the power to control ourselves. You have the power to control yourself. So there is nothing you can say, you know, I had no choice. I had no option. No, you can overcome it if you do number five, and that is to lean on God's strength. Because in Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let us wage war against sin by, first of all, identifying our personal weaknesses. Identify it. What is it for you? It may be different for, for another person, but what is it for you? The second thing, recognizing the things that tempt us. What is it that tempts you? What is it that tempts you? If it is pornography on your phone, be candid enough to get rid of that phone and get a small phone where you will not easily access the internet. Maybe that might work for you. Number three, we have said stay away from the sources of temptation. Stay away. Don't put yourself in the heat of battle because you may not overcome it when you're in the heat of battle. Number four, we have said practice self-restraint. Remember that God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. And lastly, number five, lean on God's strength. Because with Christ, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. So friends, may God give us the grace to overcome the power of sin. May God enable us to live lives that will honor him. May God give us the ability to live God-honoring lives in our personal relationships, in our work, in our relations with our children and our spouses. May God give us the ability to, to let our light shine so that we can overcome the power of sin and give all the honor and the glory to him. Thank you so much. I will hand back to you, Fiona, but before we, that, we do that, let us pray, and then I will hand over to you so that you can continue. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for at this time. Lord, we thank you for your word uh, that has come out uh, for us. As we reflect on overcoming the power of sin, Lord, maybe you have opened our eyes and our minds to some things in our lives that we are taking lightly. And Lord, maybe there are some places in our lives that we have abused your grace and your mercy. Lord, may you forgive us. Lord, I pray that we shall live intentionally. We shall live lives that honor you. We shall not abuse your grace. We shall embrace your grace without abusing it. That Lord, we shall continue to recognize that your, your death paid for, to, paid for the penalty of sin and, and enabled us to overcome the power of sin. That Lord, because of your resurrection, we are alive with you. Even when we depart from this world, we shall live and reign with you eternally. And above all, Lord, that we should continue to live under the Lord, not to be saved, but because you have saved us. Lord, may you help us in all that we do, in the way we live our lives, in the way we drive on our lives, in the way we work in the office, in the way we relate with other people. Lord, I pray that your name will be glorified in each and every aspect of our lives. We give you thanks and we give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' name we are prayed.
Amen. Thank you, Brother Jesse, for this powerful word that you've brought unto us. We bless the Lord. I believe each and of us has had a word for them. The word has been brought with clarity, ways to overcome sin, the power to overcome sin. Um, we have learned that uh, we ought not to abuse God's grace, that we are no longer enslaved to sin, that Christ's resurrection gives us the guarantee that we will live with him again, that we should commit to lives that honor him, that honor God, that we should do things that honor him. And I think in the fifth point, that sin should have no power against the children of God. Friends, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you, we adore you, we exalt you, we lift your name on high. We thank you, King of glory, for your word, Abba Father, that's been brought unto us, my King. Father, Lord, you've reminded us, my master, that many a times we have, we have taken you for granted because we believe that, that your grace is sufficient. And we have taken sin as something that we can do every time. And we have become slaves to sin, my master. And in your word, my master, you have taught us that we should not take you for granted, that we should not take your grace for granted, my king, that we should not be slaves to sin, oh God, that, Father, you have given us power and authority to overcome sin. Abba, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you continue to have mercy on us, that you continue to empower us, my king, to do the things that glorify you, Abba, Father. Lord, we have also learned that when we become slaves to sin, oh God, we will not come out of that sin. And Father, that there are consequences, Abba Father, to, to sinful nature, my King. Father, that you would not hear us when we come to you, that you would not recognize us, Abba Father, for we for we have for we, when we sin against you, for when we do things that do not glorify you, my master, you will be far away from us. King of glory, we have come here, King of Majesty, so that we learn we learn about you so that we learn king of glory about your goodness abba father you are merciful you are merciful king of glory that you continue to even replenish us with grace abba father i pray in the name of jesus that will never that we nobody will ever take you for granted my king father in the name of jesus i pray that you continue to help us in where in our families, in our workplaces, in the church, in this nation, oh God. Father, I pray that you give your people grace, that you give us ability, oh God, to identify our personal weaknesses, Abba Father, to recognize the things that tempt tempt us and take, take us away from you, oh God. King of glory, give us ability, my King, to stay away from every source of sin, Abba Father. In the name of Jesus, we have learned today that you give us power to overcome, to overcome any manner of sin, my King. Continue to help us, oh God. Continue to replenish us, Abba Father, with grace and mercy, oh God. So that King of glory for everything we do, Father, it shall be for your glory. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we eat, oh God, whatever we speak, it shall be for your glory, my Master. Help us, my King, and give us the grace to know you, to serve you, to abide in you, Abba Father, to do the things that glorify you, King of glory, so that we shall come <clears throat> and be with you and live with you again, King of glory, in, in eternity, my master. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you enable us, that you have your way in our lives, that you reign, King of glory, that you reign and have your way, take your place, oh God, have your way in us, oh God, help us, Abba Father, to stay away from 
things that do not glorify you. Lord, we love you, we honor you, we adore you. Father, even as we depart, King of glory, this evening that you go before us, Abba Father, that you continue to convict us, Abba Father, of any sin, Abba Father. Lord, all of us here are not saints, my King. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to deal with our weaknesses, to deal with our sins, oh God. Father, that for whatsoever we do, oh God, Father shall glorify you. We worship you, we honor you, we adore you. I thank you, King of glory, for Mr. Jesse Abba, Father. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless him, that you continue to, that you replenish his anointing, oh God, that you replenish, Father, your grace upon him. Father, I pray for a covering upon his life, upon his family, for a blessing, King of glory, for he has come to, to minister unto us with humility, O oh God. Father, and he has allowed you to use him, O oh God. Father, that he will always, King of glory, be used by you in Jesus' mighty name. Take your place and reign, Abba Father, even as we go, King of glory, go with us and, and, and abide in us, O oh God. Receive all praise, all glory, and all honor. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray and believe. Amen and amen.